Hello and welcome to the Convenience Mix podcast, brought to you by conveniencestore.co.uk, Lumina Intelligence and The Grocer. Every four weeks, our experts will be dissecting the key trends impacting the UK convenience retail sector, sharing our exclusive insight and the latest news coverage straight to your ears. Whether you work on the shop floor or in a head office, This podcast will provide you with actionable insights and best-in-class examples from across a thriving convenience sector. As always, please don't forget to subscribe via Apple or Spotify. You wouldn't want to miss an episode. My name is Blonnie Wist and I am Insight Director at Lumina Intelligence. Over the coming weeks and months, we have some really exciting topics and trends to sink our teeth into, but I couldn't possibly do this alone. I am delighted to be joined by my fantastic co-host, Aidan Fortune, editor at conveniencestore.co.uk. Hello, Blani. Glad to be here. And Ronan Hegarty, news editor at The Grocer. Hi there, Blani. Today, we turn our attention to sustainability, an ever-growing trend with increasing expectation put on brands and retailers from shoppers to play their part. Within this episode, we discuss the advantages and barriers of refill stores, veganism, deposit return schemes, Tempe carrier bags, and the impact of the pandemic on sustainability. In addition, we are delighted to be joined by Michael Fletcher, Commercial Director at The Co-op. For this episode, we spoke to Michael as he discusses the importance of sustainability at The Co-op and the different measures that they have introduced. Hi, Michael. Welcome to The Convenience Mix. Thank you. Great to be here. What would you say are the biggest challenges for convenience retailers when it comes to sustainability? A couple of things spring to mind. I think the the most obvious one is how you manage your stock levels, especially in kind of with the volatile weather that we experience in the UK. I think we all know inconvenience, you know, three or four hours of additional sunshine, a couple of degrees and sales on a Friday and Saturday can go up by 50%. And we all sit there and we try and balance our ambition around availability and the risk of waste and you know um i suppose hopefully at the cult we get it more right than we get it wrong but there are times you know when you know the weather doesn't quite come as we expect it to and, and we end up with a huge amount of food waste going into the early part of the following week so i think you know balancing that risk is one of the one of the challenges that we face and the second one is, you know, within a, within constrained space, you can't always offer the choice. So, you know, it's sometimes difficult to offer the organic choice. It's sometimes difficult to offer the challenger brand that perhaps has more sustainable credentials. Um, but there's lots of things convenience retailers can do to be sustainable and de- demonstrate their commitment towards a fairer planet. How has the coronavirus pandemic impacted shopper behaviour and attitudes to sustainability? I think there is a shift, though, and, you know, it's been described as build back better. And I think there's there's a growing recognition that world the world isn't a big place. It's a small place. It's one community. We've got one planet and we all need to support each other to look after it, because, you know, what goes on in Wuhan um, actually does affect people in Watford and vice versa. So, you know, we're very hopeful that this build back better trend will develop and certainly within the UK and across Europe you can see retailers responding to that consumer demand which can only be a positive thing. What are the key barriers to shoppers when it comes to making more sustainable choices and what are you and the co-op doing about it? 
I think it's really difficult for shoppers to make a sustainable choice because there isn't really a metric that helps them to do it. Um, you know, uh, lots of people describe carbon strategies in different ways and it's becoming increasingly difficult to understand the difference between carbon neutral and net zero, for example. So, you know, it's very difficult for consumers to make a, a positive choice. In the co-op, we've almost tried to make it just really, really simple. So, you know, we'll have landed our 100% recyclable co-op brand packaging by this summer. We're already neutral, carbon neutral on our operations, and we are committed to be a carbon neutral co-op brand by 2025. So, you know, that, that that's sort of making it black and white. Um, other retailers are doing similar things, perhaps not going quite as far as we are. But, you know, if if, if consumers want to, you know, demonstrate their desire for a more sustainable retail retailer, then they can do it by shopping in the co-op. Um, but fundamentally, the industry needs to come together. And, and I mean, the industry in its wider sense, so not just the UK industry, and come up with a carbon labelling scheme that everybody can get behind in the same way as we came up with a um, nutritional labelling scheme. So now you can make informed choices about your diet. And we need to extend those informed choices to what's the carbon impact. Would you say it's even more challenging for convenience retailers to, to steer shoppers to more sustainable shopping, given how big impulse and food to go is in the sector? This can be very much at odds with the trends towards reusable bottles, prepping meals at home. Is that more of a, more of a challenge for convenience? Yeah, uh, yeah, yeah, absolutely. All, all, all those things are relevant. Um, you know, our, our challenge is to get the offer right. Um, you know, we would always encourage people um, to take a water bottle and fill it with water at home. And in a number of stores, you can fill your water bottle up in our store. So, you know, we're all for people living in the most sustainable way they can. But there are times when, you know, if we have a sunny day, you're walking past the store and, and you want some water and you don't have a reusable bottle with you and therefore you're going to buy um, a plastic bottle. The challenge is then what do you do with that plastic bottle when you've finished with it? Taking things to a more extreme level, should retailers like yourselves reduce the amount of products linked with higher carbon emissions, such as meat and dairy? So I, I think this is a consumer choice point. I, I don't think it's for retailers to make absolute decisions about what people should eat. And again, it, it's not as simple as, you know, there's, you hear a mantra that kind of uh, meat protein is bad. You know, that isn't necessarily the case. And even within a species like beef, you know, um, organically farmed beef in the UK has a very, very different carbon footprint to um beef that might come out of South America or for that matter come out of Europe so I, I don't think it's a black and white issue and this is why labeling is really really important so that people make in, make informed choices and sort of uh, farmers and manufacturers can think right okay I, I, I want you know I'm committed to the dairy industry I'm committed to the protein industry but I'm going to make mine the lowest carbon alternative you know that you, you don't have to stop eating uh, high carbon products you probably do need a carbon balanced diet which might mean eating less of a certain product or it might be choosing a different source of that product a lower carbon alternative for that product but I don't think retailers should be um, lecturing customers on, on what they should eat allow them to make an informed choice at the shelf edge and then you know naturally great retailers reflect demand
what advice can you provide to independent retailers who are looking to improve their sustainability credentials? Uh, I think the biggest single thing they can do is um, source carbon-free energy. So, you know, and, and I think they would be surprised if they shop around. Um, actually, you can get cleaner energy cheaper if you if you speak to the right outlets. Um, you know, we do an awful lot of work with our supply base through co-op power to provide green energy. And actually, in a number of cases, we found that getting green energy for our supply base is actually a lot cheaper than the brown energy that they were previously buying. Interestingly, the co-op has recently stopped selling plastic bags for life. Should all retailers be looking at more sustainable options? Is it something they can do relatively easily and, more importantly, cost-effectively? Here's the fact. So, so I think the UK has done a brilliant job in using reusable bags. I think the figure is about 85%, isn't it? So, you know, that, that is um, world-leading. It's, it's a great figure. But there's a truth that there's are times when customers either do an unplanned shop or buy a little more product than they were expecting to. And then the question is, what's the most sustainable way to get that product home? If you sell a bag for life, it's got an awful lot of plastic in it. And if a consumer already has enough reusable bags at home, all they're going to do is dispose of that bag that night or they'll accumulate a load underneath their sink and then throw a big bag of bags out sort of once every six months. So, so the, you know, we've done an awful lot of work. We know that the most sustainable way to get an unplanned shop home is in a compostable sink carrier bag. And, you know, and we sell that at the new level of 10p. And, and that, that is definitively the most sustainable way to get an unplanned shop home. I think a lot of retailers are wedded to bags for life because they sit outside of the carrier bag tax and, you know, they can buy them for 10p and perhaps sell them for 25p or even more. And in doing so, you know, it, it's a contribution to the P&L. But whilst it's a contribution to the P&L, it's a huge contribution also to the plastic problem. So, yes, you know, we're actively campaigning and saying you, you, you shouldn't be able to sell the traditional bag for life. It should either be a robust reusable bag or alternatively a compostable carrier bag that has a secondary use. And, and that's the way to reduce damage to the environment. There now appears to be renewed interest from retailers and shoppers in packaging free and refill options. Is this something the co-op is considering? Yeah, yeah. I mean, I, I, it's a really important contribution to the sustainability debate. I think you then have to think about the mission and the format. Um, so there is a challenge, you know, if you're doing a convenience shop, it is unlikely that you've bought your refillable cereal container with you. So I think it is something for large shops and we're exploring it within large shops. But in convenience stores where space is constrained, the ability to both have a, a system that allows you to replenish your refillable unit and also carry the product if you haven't brought your fill refillable unit becomes impossible. So for us, it's about getting the balance right. I think it's got a really important to play, part to play for larger shops or shops very much servicing a kind of a planned visit, but actually for a convenience store um, managing unplanned trips, trips on the way home from work, trips on the way up home from wherever it happens to be, then it's going to be very difficult to do given the space constraints. But it's got an important part to play as, as part of a wider solution. 
one area of convenience that's certainly booming is online delivery. Is it possible you can meet customer demand for this, but do so sustainably? Well, it's just, I, I, online in, in, in itself isn't unsustainable. You know, um, it is more sustainable for one electrical vehicle to drive to a street and make three drop-offs than it is for three residents of that street to drive to their local store and collect shopping. So, you know, online in itself isn't isn't a sustainable, it doesn't have to be an environmental challenge. Um, and I think increasingly retailers will work to kind of aggregate demand because it's more cost effective for them to do, but it is fundamentally more sustainable. But then the obvious choices are to do the deliveries using electric bikes or electric cars and to make sure those bikes and cars are recharged using green energy. But I, I, you know, I think it's a bit of a myth that online is within itself a, a less sustainable option than a customer going to do their own shopping. You know, one of the things is to have as little transit packaging as you possibly can. But on online shopping can be the sustainable solution. So I wanted to start by revisiting the question that you asked Michael about packaging free and refillable product stations. I thought that Michael responded really, really well here as he noted both the importance and potential of this concept. But I feel like he wasn't completely convinced that the advantages would outweigh the disadvantages and convenience. And Aidan, what was your take on that? Well, first off, I mean, the margins are fantastic on this. Uh, retailers I've spoken to They've reported at least 40% uh, or upwards of that, in fact, and it's a great USP for a store in the right area, but the outlay is a lot. You're looking at six, seven thousand pounds just to get it right. Um, so you really have to be sure it's right for your business um, because it's not something you can dip your toe into and see if it works and then come back from it. It's, it's almost an all or nothing situation. It's costly. You're giving up space from other categories. So if you're a retailer who's considering this, I mean, I'd suggest visiting a store that's succeeding with it, see if the customer base is similar, ask your own customers if it's something they'd use on a regular basis before making that investment. There's also the hygiene um, aspect of it as well. Um, it's taken on such more prominence in the last year. So you really need to be on it in terms of maintaining the, the stock levels and the hygiene of that. Um, but if you get it right, there is some big money to be made on that. Yeah, absolutely. And Mike, Michael talked there about, um, I think, some of the challenges, though, that uh, for convenience in particular, space can be limited in store. And he's talking about they're thinking about doing it in some of their larger stores and almost sort of suggesting that it is something for, for bigger stores and not smaller stores. The idea that this is uh, convenience largely is driven by impulse. Um, people aren't going to come along with their, their ready-made packaging, ready to fill everything up if they're just out and about and popping into the shop on a, on a whim. And I, I have seen it work in small stores. So there are a few near me, um, such as the nicer raw store, that are doing this really successfully. And I've even heard that the concept has made it all the way to Shrewsbury, um, where they say the, the key categories that they're really over-trading in are things like washing up liquid and dried fruit. And I think just on that sort of impulse related small stores, I think that it's sort of linked to that growing top up mission and convenience. And um, we're seeing more and more things like fresh fruit, fresh veg being sold, um, much more planned top up and a bit more meal for tonight. And so I think the right signs are there for this to really take off in mainstream convenience. And especially when you take into account more people working from home and increasing that planned shopping behavior. 
I think that people are more and more likely than ever to be remembering their refillable packaging. I think uh, location is probably key. I think as, as Aidan quite rightly said, I think you've got to really know your customers, ask your customers first and uh, and find out if it's something they're looking for, but um, it's not going to work in all stores, but where, you know, I can see it definitely working in, in smaller towns um, things where, you know, customers will walk to a lot, um, but you know, they'll go regularly, but they'll plan their trips more rather than simply acting on a whim when they just might be caught out with, uh, without even a carrier bag to take things home in. And if you're, if you're in buying cleaning products, if you're stocking cleaning products, that's, you know, that's not something you just buy, you know, when you're about to run out, you know, when it's time to go. And that's, it could be an opportunity that, that feeds into the planned purchases more as well. Yeah. There's a bit more flex on the sort of distress nature of that. Um, and I totally agree with what you said, Agent, also about the hygiene elements. And I think that maybe another big disadvantage of this is the the sort of consumer perception of it. And I think it needs to be it needs to be cleaner than clean. You know, it needs to go well beyond, you know, standard cleaning and be kind of looking immaculate at all times, which is difficult to maintain. And cross-contamination as well. Um, you know, it's it's not a cinema pick and mix from 20 years ago. It's it has to be, you know, special uh, the containers for each one, special areas for each one. You, you have to be so careful and also really flagging that to make sure your customers know that everything's safe. I think retailers have to be aware of that in terms of how they actually, how much time they can be prepared themselves to commit to that, how much training they need to offer their staff. And this is something that once it's there, they have to keep the standards up the whole time. You can't fail on it. You know, you've really got to make that um, fixture live up to exactly what it's promising the whole time. I think you're completely right. It's about that retailer standards. And thinking about maybe wider sustainability trends, are there any retailers that you think are doing this particularly well? Um, well, it's impossible to talk about sustainability and not mention, not mention Andrew Thornton. Um, he's not just a guy who sold squirrel meat a few years ago. He's a pioneer of sustainability within convenience. Um, I was talking about this issue long before anyone else was. And even last year, he won the Excellence in Sustainability Award at the Convenience Awards, showing that being sustainable just doesn't stop. It's a constant evolving process. Um, when this episode drops, we'll be announcing the finalists for the 2021 Sustainability Retailer of the Year. So they'll have some big shoes to fill, as will the Kavanagh Group, who has taken over Andrew's store in Belsize Park. It'll be interesting to see what how they take the store forward and what priority sustainability will have. But getting back to Andrew, he, he was thinking about this long before anyone else was. I mean, it was it was a major priority for him. And um, last time I checked, I mean, he has 2,600 plastic-free lines in his store. Um, and that's, for a convenience store, that's, that's amazing. Um, that's really, like, that's tough to beat in terms of um, sustainability and constantly moving forward. And that's just from his range as well. Yeah, he's really led the way. I mean, he's led the way not just for convenience retailers, but for all grocers really in the UK on this front. And in fact, the multiples, you know, had a thing, thing or two to learn from him. But uh, no, absolutely. It's becoming more of a more of a thing. And you look as well, there's other examples of excellent retailers. Harris Aslam up in Scotland doing an awful lot of that. And uh, I mean, he actually interestingly said, you know, how... Um, he was doing it and really getting on board with it just before the pandemic and the pandemic actually sort of made a bit of a raised new challenges for that, you know, with people being less willing to do that. But um, we've certainly seen lots of evidence that, um, 
even sort of beginning of this year, the interest across uh, convenience in getting back on board with this is, is really shooting up and people are sort of putting those worries aside and that burning sort of it desire from consumers to shop more sustainably is overweighing sort of some of the fears that they would have had a year ago around, around that. Also, I've heard examples of how it, it's actually the pandemic pushed sustainability forward. Um, I spoke to David Charman of Spar Aspire Powerfoot in Kent and his strawberry supplier, um, very big on food service, but all the product would be sent up to London. Um, they supply Wimbledon as well as uh, other food service outlets. Um, and then it would be sent back down to Kent, even though it was only the farm was only five miles from the store. So once food service closed down over uh, 2020, uh, he got in contact with the supplier and now he goes and gets it himself, cutting out all those food miles, um, really improving his, his uh, carbon footprint. Um, and it's just that, you know, it, 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 maybe it's a conversation that should have happened well before then, but it forced suppliers and retailers to reevaluate their relationship about how they're getting the food to stores. That's a really good example. Um, for me, Amit's Patel's premier in Derbyshire was also such an inspirational example. And although it's a while ago, it's really stuck with me that it was just sort of small changes like updated radiators door mechanisms and, and things like lighting that made a huge difference to both shopping experience for customers, um, but also his overheads, which which saved him almost 300 pounds a year. And that's before we even talk about the massive energy savings that are so good for the planet. And uh, so I think a really good example and, and partnership by Suntory and Energy Saving Trust. And obviously veganism has a huge role to play in the push to make convenience more sustainable. And our latest convenience tracking figures show that although just 1% of convenience shoppers identify as vegan, actually in the last six months, we've seen this percentage decrease slightly. But saying that we've also seen the role of things like flexitarianism increase slightly. Um, so that's people who, although they do eat meat, animal products and dairy, they do so rarely. So how important is this veganism flexitarian trend to boosting the sustainability of convenience? It's it's pretty important. Um, I think the the issue I think Michael raised there was interesting. Again, it's about sort of ranging and how much room you might have in stores. And retailers have to always make these weigh up these choices about whether or not to stock a, a more organic range or a, a, a different uh, a, a different vegan alternative and challenger brands and the like. Um, so all all of this comes into it. But I think when retailers get it right and, and get get the range right and make it easier and crucially like some of the co-op is doing now and making their uh, vegan grow range the same price as meat alternatives removing those barriers to shoppers to choosing alternatives is definitely the way forward um so yeah i, I think i think it's definitely it's definitely one that's it's important now it's only going to become more so yeah i think it'll be dictated by demand really the retailers it, they're expected to have a free from offering now. Um, you know, it's, it's what you say, it's, it's 1% of convenience shoppers identify as vegan, but you, you still have to cater for that. And there's, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm a proud meat eater, but sometimes I just want a free from offer. Um, and it's also, well, the, the MPD has exploded in the past five years. Um, it's whether, well, I'm not convinced that the manufacturers have found the right balance between taste and uh, maybe the, the ingredients, but that, will happen and will come about um i think the meals for tonight category has really grown um but food to go i think it could be a real opportunity 
um, I was in a store this morning and there was only one vegan sandwich available. Um, so that's, um, yeah. <laughs> and, and if you don't like that, then, you know, you're, well, you're going to go hungry that day. Um, so I think there's a great opportunity to really grow that range. Um, but yeah, of course it has to, you have to balance out the range, the, the size of your store. What do you cut back on? Um, waste as well, especially in food to go. So they're all things to consider, but it's, it'll be dictated by customer base, I think more than sustainability credentials. Yeah. I, and I, I think as well, and looking probably a bit beyond that, I think it is um, very interesting that, you know, retailers will still be selling a lot of meat products. They will still be selling a lot of dairy products. Um, but researchers could perhaps be looking at those products and saying, you know, where am I sourcing those from? how much uh, carbon is being used in the production of those um, so looking at more local sourcing in terms of that um, looking at how animal products are reared uh, and making the choices at that point you know in terms of saying well our, our meat is, is as sustainable as it can be uh, along with all these alternatives and um, so it is more than just sort of saying yeah we have uh, two or three uh, vegan options as well and i've seen a lot of um, convenience stores um it's grow it's it's it was more popular in Northern Ireland and Scotland, but it's really coming into prominence in England is having uh, in-store butchery counters. Um, so working with a local butcher, um, they know the places to source the you know, high quality meat that's nearby um, and they're effectively managing it as well. So they're managing the issue for you and it's another great USP for a store. So um, it obviously only works in larger stores, but it's an, it's an option for a retailer who has the space. And Michael had a really, really good point around deposit return schemes and in particular how 10p plastic bags for life might not be such a silver bullet after all. So how can retailers balance both sustainability and legislation such as DRS? Um, well, there's still a lot of questions to be answered regarding DRS. Um, the exemptions, uh, should last be included or not? The cost of it? Um, why should that all fall on retailers? Um, it, it'll be tough balancing act if retailers have to fork out um, they also have to give up the space as well um, I think at the moment it, I mean it's 2024 for England, Wales and Northern Ireland 2022 for Scotland but that timeline is under review when it's looking more likely 2023 I, I, I think retail the retail industry needs a lot more questions answered before they should be really press ganged into this um, but I understand the importance of it as well Absolutely, and it's also obviously about bags for life, and how that's uh, that that they, that's something the co-op have removed, um, and actually how he's almost suggesting that, you know, some retailers are simply using bags for life uh, as a profit-making thing, and actually ended up sending customers home with with more plastic than they used to. Um, so I think you know these are all choices individual retailers have to make, but you know there are more um, retailers using compostable bags. It's not just the big guys like the co-op. Uh, the grocer wrote a story this week that uh, four cord operator Sewell um, on the go is switching to 100% compostable bags. Um, so, you know, smaller retailers can do that. And I definitely think that, you know, it is an impulse category. Customers are going to go in there on a whim. They might not have, have brought their reusable bags with them. They might not uh, have a car at home. So it's, yeah, if you can send them home with the, the most sustainable way of carrying that home possible, then that's another string to your bow, really. I think that's completely true. It all comes down to those unplanned shops, really. And the reality is that these huge, full of plastic bags aren't really the best option. And Michael's totally right that actually 
distress top-up shopping and impulse has increased over the last six months. Um, but that said, we've also seen planned top-up shopping increasing, um, both of these mostly at the cost of things like fuel and car wash, but it's a sign that consumers are being more planned and, and doing more top-up, you know, meal for tonight, fresh shopping. Yeah, I must say those big bulky uh, bags for life uh, they've always given me a sort of cold shiver really I think when the idea that they've replacing um, less sustainable bags it just has always just seemed really wrong to me and I've always tried where, where possible to use sort of much more sort of reusable sort of um, whether that's uh, sort of canvas bags that you know will last for several years or are very small and, and, and don't take up much room but those big um, big huge bags have always just ugh, no no <laughs> Luckily, there's a bit of social desirability, even a big sort of Sainsbury's bag for life. I feel a bit sheepish walking into a, a farm shop with that. And we've already sort of alluded to the impact of the pandemic on sustainability. And I think we often hear quite maybe conflicting accounts of whether coronavirus has brought sustainability more into the forefront or, or pushed it back in the priority list. Do you think that there is more or less focus on sustainability now compared to the start of 2020? I think now the focus, um, I would say now the focus from shoppers is actually more serious than it was then. I think retailers are probably playing, paying lip service to it and coming up with the latest trend and getting on board and saying we're doing a bit of this and a bit of that. I think we've all reading far more about climate change the, the climate crisis um you know the social media is full of it, the television is full of it um newspapers and you know i think it's now an issue that is far more entrenched in in shoppers views than it was then and i think retailers are having to respond i think yeah there was the odd fear around coronavirus about saying oh um, I can't bring my own bags in or you know I can't you know use my coffee refill at a, at a, at a coffee shop um, sort of thing and unfortunately people started using more coffee cups again but I think now as, as we learn to live with this I think the desire is definitely to to do it as, as sustainably as possible. Yeah I completely agree and our convenience tracking program shows that actually the number of consumers who are aligned to what we call these green values it's actually remained really stable. So it's more a question of how likely or, or motivated consumers are to, to express these values. And for me, what I take away from that is that the demand is there. It's just for retailers and suppliers who, who continue to, to meet that demand. Yeah, absolutely. And from a, from a retailer point of view, like the, the focus did fall back a little bit, but that was to be expected. Um, I mean, a lot of sustainability work involves a refit, you know, a free refillable station or new lighting. Um, and obviously we've touched on that earlier. So that was maybe where some of the delays or disruptions to sustainable retailing lay. But any retailer I've spoken to who is doing anything, they it's it's not because they think they're going to make more money from it. A lot of them say it's because it's the right thing to do, which is quite, is quite heartening really. And um, yes, it's, you know, it can be a bit of an investment and it can be a bit of a, a money shock, but they realize that the potential down the line and sometimes that the extra sales are <laughs> a happy accident. Um, so it's it's excellent. But I, I, I'm seeing more and more retailers look into this and investigate it more. And you, you mentioned the Suntory project. That was such a great way of marrying um, a supplier, a retailer to improve sustainability. It's a tough one, though. For some, for, in some ways, 
there's there's elements of convenience retail that just simply isn't that sustainable. It's that sort of idea of food to go, um, sandwich, individual wrapped sandwiches, um, you know, ref or you know, plastic bottles full of for water. I mean, I'm by no means an eco warrior and by any stretch of the imagination, but it's been couple of years now since I've purchased a, a bottle of water, a plastic bottle of water. I'm always trying keen to take my uh, metal water bottle with me wherever I go and um, really not find myself in a situation where I'd I'd want to buy a plastic water bottle. And the same, I'd sort of feel a bit odd trying to buy, you know, sandwiches, individually wrapped sandwiches and things like that. So it, I think customers' attitudes are changing in that way and retailers have to respond to that. And, you know, whether that's, you know, offering you know, water stations where people can come in and fill their bottles and stuff like that. And, and you know, m more recycled, better p recycled plastic and, and paper for their uh, for their sandwich ranges and stuff like that. Then it's 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 a difficult choice they all have to make sort of thing. But, you know, it's uh, it's the challenge they're facing. That feels like a fantastic place to end. So I want to say a big thank you for listening. And as always, thank you to my co-host. And this week, a special thanks to Michael Fletcher from The Co-op. Don't forget to subscribe via your chosen podcast streaming platform, and we will see you next month.